Hi there, I'm Travis, and this is the Why Is That Podcast. Welcome back to the Why Is That Podcast. Thank you for joining me today for our first episode of 2019. It may seem a bit late to wish you all a Happy New Year, but I'm going to do it anyways. Happy New Year. Over the past year, we have launched our podcast and released episodes explaining the names of the months and the days of the week. As we have just started our new year, I figured it's a great time to discuss the other time measurement, years. Back in episode 20, I introduced the International Standard ISO 8601. In addition to days of the week, it also helped to provide a standardized year across international boundaries. This standard, and the one used in many Western countries, holds that January 1st is the first day of the new year, and that this year is 2019. ISO 8601 was published in 1988 to meet the demands of globalization, but as you might expect, we have seen many standards for many different countries develop and transform since humans first started telling time. Today we are going to look into that process and why it is that we use 2019 to designate this year. One of the things I most enjoy about the new year is how absolutely arbitrary January 1st is as the day to start the year. The three most common ways for different cultures to measure a year would be the sun, by the moon, or through a combination of both. A few alternate options were presented in today's introduction song, but I have some difficulty attempting to quantify a standard unit for the measurement of love. January 1st really has no unique characteristics for either the sun or the moon. It is not like the date corresponds to a new moon, or an equinox, or a solstice, or even an eclipse. It is just a day that we decided to say, yep, that one will work. In episode 1, we discussed how we received the names of our modern months from the Romans. In that episode, I also explained how the Romans originally celebrated their new year in March. Sometime between the reign of King Numa Pompilius in the year 715 BCE and the Lusitanian War in 153 BCE, January 1st became the official start of the year. Ever since then, the Romans celebrated the new year on that date, and we have inherited this custom from them. Other ancient cultures used other events to mark their new year. We will use the ancient Egyptians as an early example. The Egyptian calendar was one of the oldest known calendars. It was split into three seasons of 120 days each, with an intercalary month of 5-6 to six days per year to keep the seasons aligned. The seasons were winter, summer, and inundation. The inundation season was the most important as it was marked and defined by the flooding of the Nile. The flooding of the Nile rejuvenated the land and helped it remain fertile for the coming planting of the crops. The flooding was caused by the monsoon season, but the flooding also signified the start of one of the most important celebrations of the Egyptian year. This was known as the Wipeth Renpeth Festival, and by modern estimates was basically the Egyptian New Year celebration. The festival was the celebration of the death and rebirth of the Egyptian god Osiris. It was generally marked by multiple days of drunk debauchery and celebrations. Wipeth Renpeth translates approximately as the opening of the year. It started with the recitation of the Lamentations of Isis and Nephithys, a call-and-response poem that called Osiris to the feast. The first year that this celebration was celebrated is not precisely known, but we do know that it definitely existed in the time of the Old Kingdom. 
Today we date the Old Kingdom as beginning in 2686 BCE. As you might expect, the first Wepet Renpet festival did not usher in the year 2685 BCE, but rather it ushered in Dozier Year 2. The next was Dozier Year 3, and so on and so forth, until the first king of the Old Kingdom, Dozier, died. When he died, the dating system started over with Dozier's successor, Sekhemkit. The Egyptian system of dating is known as regnal years. Instead of counting up or down from a specific point in time, the Egyptians used the year of the reign of their highest sovereign to differentiate from year to year. The regnal year dating system was very convenient for the Egyptians as it helped underline how important their kings were to society and all of the people who were alive would have been able to easily distinguish between years for the length of their lifetime as they absolutely would know all of the kings who lived during their lives. If you think about it, it is not so difficult to know that we are entering Trump year 3 or that 5 years ago we were about to enter Obama year 6. However, if I asked you to name Grant year 3, you might have a bit more difficulty. It is 1871 for those wondering. The regnal year system was actually quite popular throughout the ancient world and from my research seems to have been the preeminent way of naming and distinguishing years for the ancient world. This was convenient and gave a clear indication of years, but it did make things quite difficult for historians. This is partially why we today have difficulty dating certain events in the Egyptian history with accuracy because certain names of kings have been lost and many surviving kings lists are not complete. You will also notice that I am using the word king here rather than the more familiar pharaoh as the term pharaoh was not used by the Egyptians until the New Kingdom in the 1200s BCE. The regnal year dating system has fallen out of common use due to its drawbacks. With that said, it is true that many cultures continue to use monarchs to track their regnal years. For instance, the British people began using their current regnal year dating system in 1066 when William the Conqueror took the throne. We are currently living in the 66th year of Queen Elizabeth II's reign, with the new year coming up on her coronation day next month on February 6, 2019. So if any of you have already failed your New Year's resolution, you can jump back on the bandwagon next month and see if Queen Elizabeth II is just the motivator you needed in your life. The year 2019 does not exactly fit into a system of regnal years. You may or may not have noticed that I generally use BCE and CE when I discuss dates with this year being 2019 CE. The alternate way of saying this would be AD 2019. Yes, the correct way is AD in front of the year rather than behind. AD is the abbreviation of the Latin phrase Anno Domini. It means approximately the year of our Lord. As such, we are living in the year of our Lord, 2019, so you can technically count our current year as the 2019th year of the reign of Jesus Christ. Typically, though, our dating system is grouped into a different category known as era dating or epoch dating. Epoch means an instant in time chosen as the origin of a particular era. The origin point is the birth of Jesus Christ, and this is said to usher in the Christian era. In order to understand where this originated, we must travel over to Italy to pay our friends the Romans a visit. By tradition, the city of Rome was founded in the year 753 BCE as a monarchy. The Roman kingdom likely used the familiar regnal year dating system to keep track of their years until the kings were overthrown in the year 509 BCE. 
From that point forward, the Romans used a system called consular dating. The Roman Republic's highest political office was the consulship. The consul was the supreme authority throughout the land, even more powerful than our modern-day examples of president or prime minister. The Republic elected two consuls to jointly hold office for a term of one year. Consuls generally could not be elected to consecutive terms so that no single person could gain too much power and so the office would be open to other ambitious and qualified men. The Romans after the fall of the kings still needed a way to differentiate from year to year without being able to use regnal years. As the consuls only served for one year, it seemed like it only made sense to name the year after the consuls and thus consular dating was born. The first two consuls in the year 509 BCE were Lucius Tarquinius Collentinus and Lucius Junius Brutus. Following the rules of consular dating, this year would have been known as the year of Collentinus and Brutus. This system of dating was used throughout the whole of the Roman Republic and with some slight modification through the Roman Empire. The consular dating system was used by the everyday people to discuss the current year or recent years, but as highlighted earlier, once you travel back beyond a current lifetime, it gets a bit difficult to differentiate dates, and looking into the future is also a little bit difficult. This is why some classical historians devised an alternate way of dating events within the Roman world called Ab Urbe Condita. Ab Urbe Condita translates to from the founding of the city and uses the founding of the city of Rome as the epoch moment that begins the dating system. An example would include the Roman historian Varro, who dated the first year of consulship rule in Ab Urbe Condita 245, which placed the founding of the city traditionally 753 BCE as year 1 and the consuls in the traditional 509 BCE. It should be noted that the Ab Urbe Condita system was not as popular as it is sometimes believed to be. The misconception stems from a practice in the Renaissance where editors and translators would remove the consular dating and replace it with Ab Urbe Condita in order to clarify the years for the reader. The Ab Urbe Condita system did become more common throughout the Roman world during the Empire period of Rome, and the notation is attested more and more by the reign of Claudius 41-54 CE. The reason that Ab Urbe Condita became more common is the introduction of some great imperial propaganda in the form of a new holiday. The holiday was introduced by Claudius and called Natale de Roma. Natale de Roma was the celebration of the founding of Rome and therefore was essentially a birthday celebration for the city. Once this celebration started occurring, it was fairly easy to continue measuring the years with the city founding epoch. Consular dating was still the most popular option, though, for at least the next two to three hundred years. The Ab Urbe Condita dating system probably reached its height in the year AUC 1000 as the Roman Emperor Philip the Arab celebrated the first millennium of Rome with massive secular games. The following year was known as year 1001. The games took place in April of 248 CE, but Philip was dead and usurped by September 249 as just another victim in a long line of casualties caused by the Roman crisis of the 3rd century. The crisis of the 3rd century is a fascinating time period, but also a very confusing one, as we either do not have sources of information, or we have rather confused sources of information for all the events that occurred in the crisis. The crisis is generally dated as ending in 274 CE when Emperor Aurelian reunited the Roman Empire, 
or in 284 CE when the ascension of the emperor Diocletian finally brought some stability to the empire. The second of those two emperors is the one we can thank for providing our next epoch. If you are unfamiliar with the Diocletian era, you may be wondering what it was that he did to make him the originator of a new era. If you are familiar with Roman history and the emperor Diocletian, then you might have a few guesses. Diocletian is commonly used as the dividing line between Augustus's Principate Empire and the dominant period that followed Diocletian. This is despite the fact that it was Domitian that was the first to be contemporaneously hailed as Dominus et Deus, which meant Master and God, and that the title had been a part of the official written titles of the emperor since the reign of Aurelian. The new epoch also had nothing to do with his ending of the crisis, his monumental tax reform, or his tetrarchy ruling system, but instead everything to do with Diocletian's infamous persecution against the religious minority group known as the Christians. It is today debated how widespread Christian persecution was in the Roman Empire, as it is generally believed that later Christian writers exaggerated the treatment of early Christians, but the Diocletian persecution, also known as the Great Persecution, is generally seen as the last and most severe of the persecutions. It started in the year 303 CE with a series of edicts that stripped Christians of their legal rights and demanded they comply with traditional Roman religious practices. Stricter edicts followed, but were mostly only followed in the East, where some Christians were certainly put to death. Christians who died for their religious belief are known as martyrs, and martyrs are often thought of as the most sacred and revered humans in the Christian tradition, often gaining saint status. The Christian religion was legalized throughout the Roman Empire less than 10 years later, and soon was the preeminent religion throughout the empire. In 325 CE, the church gathered for their first ecumenical council known as the Council of Nicaea. This council is important to today's story as it established the precedent that separated the reckoning of when the Easter feast was to be celebrated. The date of Easter was formally determined by the Jewish calendar, but Christians of the time thought that the Jewish calendar had grown out of sync and become incorrect. Easter was by far the most important feast of the Christian year, and it was very, very important for the church to celebrate on the correct date. However, the Easter feast was among the so-called movable feasts as the date changed from year to year. The reason this was difficult was that the Easter celebration and feast was based on the dating of a lunar year, whereas the Christians and the Romans used a solar year in order to date their regular calendar. So this meant that Easter was a movable feast and changed dates of when it was celebrated from year to year. If the Jewish calendar was out of sync, this meant that the Easter date might also be incorrect. So after the Council of Nicaea, the Christians officially started to calculate their own month of the Jewish month of Nisan so that Easter would never fall before the spring equinox and thus would remain on the correct date. The Council of Nicaea formalized this tradition and called for worldwide conformity in the dating of Easter, but it did not provide a formalized way of dating that system. Many controversies followed to do with the correct way to date Easter. Culturally, the Roman Empire was split between the western and eastern halves. The Latin western half had the headquarters of their religion in Rome with the Pope. The eastern half had long Greek roots, and this cultural difference was also felt in the church, 
where Alexandria was often the most important destination. The Church of Alexandria decided that in addition to the new tradition of dating Easter, they also needed a new way to date things in general. The tradition of dating by calendars or in regnal years of the emperor or from the epoch of the founding of the city of Rome all seemed a bit outdated. All seemed rather non-Christian. So the Church of Alexandria determined a new epoch. The epoch was the ascension of the emperor Diocletian. It was known as the Era of Martyrs or the Era of Diocletian. In Latin, either Anno Martyrum or Anno Diocletiani. The epoch was chosen as a way to honor all of the Christians who died under the persecutions. The new era of the martyrs also gave the Church of Alexandria a way to build tables in order to calculate the date of Easter. The Easter tables would eventually be stretched all the way to the year 532 CE. The Easter tables would have to be calculated again once these tables expired, but it did give them some information for when Easter was coming. The Anno Diocletiani was popular throughout much of the Eastern Empire, but was never as popular in the West. The West did use it and knew of it, but it was less widespread. In the year 525 CE, a man by the name of Dionysius Exegus sat down to calculate the next stretch of the Easter tables. He would calculate the Easter dates for the years 532 to 626. His biggest contribution, though, was thinking that dating the Christian era to the reign of a man who persecuted Christians was a bit odd. It seemed to him that it was glorifying the reign of a horrible pagan who killed honest Christians rather than honoring the dead. So Dionysius decided to do a bit more calculation and find a new epoch. Other popular epochs that were used throughout human history included the Jewish tradition known as the Era of Destruction that dated events from the destruction of the Second Temple in 70 CE, or the Anno Gregorium, also known as the Seleucid Era, or perhaps the most popular one, Anno Mundi. Anno Mundi translated to In the Year of the World, or as To the Creation of the World. It dated the present day to the day when God created the world. The Eastern Roman Empire that continued after the fall of the West adopted an Anno Mundi calendar that is today commonly known as the Byzantine calendar. In the medieval time period, the Jewish population also calculated a creation date and today continue to date their calendar in this way. In the Jewish calendar, we entered Anno Mundi 5779 back in September. In the Byzantine calendar, we entered the year Anno Mundi 7527 back in September. Both of those calendars used information primarily found in the book of Genesis to calculate the supposed date of creation. Dionysius thought of an alternate to the Anno Mundi calendar that would highlight a Christian era rather than a creation era. Dionysius decided the best person to highlight with his epoch was none other than Jesus Christ. Dionysius was a Christian monk who lived in Rome. As I mentioned, he made his calculations in the year 525 a year that he referred to as the Consulship of Probus Jr. This quote shows how consular dating was still in practice even after the Ostrogoths had taken control of the city of Rome and long after the other epoch systems had been created. The calculation of Easter was based on how the Christians determined the Jewish month of Nisan. The date of Easter was determined by five 19-year cycles. The date of Easter can fall on 33 different dates in the year between March 23rd and April 25th. 
the 19-year cycle plays out over the course of five cycles, or 95 years. This allows the date of Easter to repeat every 95 years. This year, Easter will fall on April 21st, and in 95 years, it will fall on April 21st again. This is why Dionysius's Easter table was 95 years long, but he also decided to date backwards. He kept dating backwards until he got to the first ever Easter. If you notice, 19 times 33 is 532, and 532 is another cycle for Easter that allows the Easter date to repeat every 532 years. So, in 532 years from today, we will also celebrate Easter on April 21st. Also, 532 years prior to the start of the table, in 533, is the year 1. The year 1 then fits perfectly into the Easter tables, but would also fit on the first year of Jesus Christ's life. Based on Dionysius' calculation, Christ would have been born on December 25th, year 1 BC, and then the Christian era would have started on January 1st, Anno Domini 1. There is no year zero. While the calculation makes it fit very nicely, it is thought that Dionysius used clues from the Bible and from other earlier Christian sources to place the date. For instance, Clement of Alexandria published the works Thromata, in which he claimed our Lord was born in the 28th year, when first the census was ordered to be taken in the reign of Augustus. We date the ascension of Augustus to the year 27 BCE, and thus the 28th year would have fit into the Anno Domini calendar proposed by Dionysius. Today, scholars typically believe that Christ was actually born in 4 BCE, but in 525, the date proposed by Dionysius seemed quite justified. The Easter tables of Dionysius Exegus were accepted by the Pope in Rome. The Anno Domini system, though, was not immediately accepted. It was 200 years later when Dionysius' Easter table was extended by a man named Bede, who was an English clergyman who also revived the Anno Domini dating system. Bede is often known as St. Bede the Venerable, but he is also known as the Father of English History. The lofty title stems from his most famous work, The Ecclesiastical History of the English People. That work and Bede's earlier work, The Reckoning of Time, both used an updated version of Anno Domini. This was the first highly influential work of history that used Anno Domini as a dating system, and once the work spread through Europe, so too did the use of Anno Domini. After that, Anno Domini started to be used throughout the areas of Europe. It was especially picked up by the Western Church and the Carolingians, who started their rise just after Bede. Once the Roman Catholic Church, England, and the Franks had all accepted Anno Domini, it was only a matter of time before the system was the system for dating throughout Europe. It has remained with us with minimal changes to today. One drawback of the Julian calendar that Dionysius, Bede, and all the Romans after Julius Caesar used is that it was calculated for years that were exactly 365.25 days. However, the tropical year is actually about 365.24219 days. The Julian calendar called for leap years every four years to keep the calendar in line with the tropical year, but it really needed to have a leap year 97 times in 400 years rather than 100 times. This caused a slow shift out of alignment with the tropical year. 
For instance, today we use the Gregorian calendar, and today is January 13th, 2019. In the Julian calendar, today is actually December 31st, 2018, a 13-day difference, and also it shows that perhaps I wasn't too late in wishing you all a Happy New Year. In the 1500, the difference was less than the 13 days, but still quite drastic, around 10. The shift in time was enough to prompt the Pope of the age to establish some calendar reforms. The reforms were necessary as the slide made it possible that Easter might fall prior to the spring equinox, and while that may not sound like a big deal to us, it absolutely was a giant deal to the Christians. Pope Gregory XIII introduced calendar reforms in October of 1582. He kept many of the traditions and names of the Julian calendar, but moved the day of the year to correct the slide and instituted a change to the leap year system to make sure that the dates did not fall out of order with tropical year again. It is this 1582 Gregorian reform that created the Gregorian calendar we still use. The number of days chosen to correct the slide was enough to change the spring equinox back to where it would have been celebrated in 325 during the Council of Nicaea, and is why we still celebrate the spring equinox on approximately March 21st. The final development to discuss is the one that gave us the rise of the phrase Common Era and Before Common Era. The Common Era dating system follows the same dates as those of Anno Domini, but the phrasing allows for a more secular meaning. The practice dates back at least to 1615 CE to the work of Johannes Kepler. Kepler was an astronomer, mathematician, and astrologer. He was a key figure in the scientific revolution and most known for his laws on planetary motion. Kepler was an ardent Christian and said the following in a letter, Those laws of nature are within the grasp of the human mind. God wanted us to recognize them by creating us after his own image so that we could share in his thoughts. Kepler published the book Ecoli Chronicae in 1615, and instead of using Anno Domini, he used the phrase Anno Eriae Nostrae Vulgaris. This is generally translated to In Our Popular Era, and is known by the shorter phrase Vulgar Era. It made its first appearance in English in the year 1635. Vulgar Era was the same concept as Common Era, and while in our modern vernacular Vulgar often has a negative connotation, it just meant popular era to Kepler, so basically the same as our word, common. Vulgar era made the change to common era in 1708 in the book The History of the Works of the Learned in Volume 10. Here's the sentence. The second book is divided into eight chapters, treats of the origin of the Greek characters and the changes that happened in them to the 4th century of the common era. It was periodically used for the next century, and then in the mid-19th century, Jewish religious scholars took up the practice. From there, the practice grew, and in the 20th century is picked up by academic and scientific publications as a way to emphasize sensitivity to non-Christians, or as a way to separate the secular studies from the religious connotations from a dating system that explicitly references Christ and Lord. Since the adoption by scholars in the past hundred years, the Common Era dating system has slowly grown in popularity in the world at large. The ISO 8601 that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode sets the standard for the dating system used in international business. This dating system also names this year 2019, 
but unlike the Common Era system, it is only 2019, instead of 2019 CE. For before Common Era dates, the ISO 8601 actually uses negative numbers to indicate the dates. And that is the story of why we date our years as we do. Whether you prefer Anno Domini 2019, 2019 CE, or just plain old 2019, that is the origin of the custom. Thank you for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the Why Is That Podcast. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app, whether that be Acast, Podcast Republic, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, or wherever podcasts are streamed. We'll see you back in two weeks. Cheers.